And what we're going to memorize here today is the uh, presented definition of God from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which sounds terrifying. But we're going to do it a piece at a time, and I want to strongly encourage you to participate with this, because what we're doing is we're taking in what is true about God, and it will change the way we think about God. And the way, if we change our thinking, friends, we will change our living. So the first section sounds like this. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Say it with me. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Now you say it. I see some participation out there, friends. But note this, what you give is what you get. Don't miss out on this. The whole thing goes like this. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Let's internalize truth, my friends. What is true about God we want to think right about God, friends, because if we're not thinking right about God, we will not worship him properly. We will not live well. Well, friends, I want to take uh, a moment here. I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Let me ask you a question here. Have you worshipped God today? Another one of those words, everybody knows what it means unless you ask them. What does it mean to worship? How do you know if you've worshipped God if you don't know what worship is? Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that focuses heavily on what it means to worship God. The word worship is used 10 different times in this passage. So again, let's take a look at John chapter 4. I think you and I would agree that uh, God is certainly a God who is worthy of our worship. So I invite you to take a look here. Take a look at the context that's laid out for us in the first nine verses of uh of John chapter 4. This is an encounter that perhaps we're all familiar with. One of my first studies in this book was from a, uh, a book entitled How Jesus Won Persons. And it was all about how Jesus did evangelism. But friends, I'll tell you what, you ain't, you ain't going to be able to do what Jesus did here. Notice, if you will, the context John um, had uh, John the Baptist had still had some work to do, but there was uh, some confusion going on. Notice in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he, that's Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. 
and so what Jesus is doing, because John still has some ministry ahead of him, and there seems to be this this pitting the two against one another. Hey, how many is Jesus baptized? What about this guy? Jesus left the area. But it wasn't just about that. Jesus had a divine appointment with someone. And we will see here, my friends, in verse 4, this statement. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that's not a geological necessity or geographical necessity. You know, I'm talking about rocks here. Uh, this was all about being in the right place at the right time to meet the right people, which, by the way, you were called to do as well. Now, notice here in verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied. Let's pause for just a moment and recognize that. Jesus did not come and put on the disguise of humanity. Just like you, just like me, my friend, he became weary. And he was thirsty. Look at this. So Jesus, who was wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting back beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So about noon. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And notice in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink of Drink from me a woman of Samaria. Now, there were some practices going on here, as there always is in the Bible, that men talking to women, strangers at that, was a do 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 And on top of it, she was a Samaritan. Now, to understand this encounter... You really have to understand some background of what's really going on here. You know, the background is about Samaria. What do you know about Samaria? Well, there's a woman at the well. The, you remember that good Samaritan, you know? I'll tell you what, those were oxymorons to the Jews. A good Samaritan, impossible. You see, to understand this encounter, we have to go all the way back to Solomon. Solomon. You remember Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived? Well, he certainly knew a lot of truth. But unlike you and I, knowing it isn't enough. You see, God had warned Solomon, and he had warned the nation of Israel, do not intermarry with Gentiles. And he told them why. Because they will pull your heart away to worshiping idols. Now, here's the wisest man that had ever lived. And he married 700 wives. Is that right? 600 wives, 300? I don't know. He married a bunch. I see that. 700 wives, 300 concubines, which is kind of like a wife. And you know what they did? They turned his... You know, that was for your benefit, so you would pay attention. They turned his heart to worshiping idols. 
Friends, I read this account just to sharpen my memory, and I couldn't keep the tears in my eyes to think about. Here is this man who knew the Lord. Here is this man whom God had warned all of these things. And so his heart was divided. And because his heart was divided, the Lord decided to divide the kingdom. And when Solomon died, up came Rehoboam. Rehoboam. He's going to start to reign, and the people come to him. Now listen carefully here. The people come to him and say, Your father has laid heavy burdens on us, and it has been hard living. If you will lighten this load, we will follow you. We will give ourselves to you. And so Solomon went like this. Just a minute. I want to talk to my counselors about that. So he went to the old men. The old men that had been around the block. And they said, lighten their load. Love these people and serve them as their king. And they will love you. And they will serve you. And they will follow you. And then he went to his friends, and his friends said, Go harder on them. Tell them that your pinky is bigger than your father's thighs. That's a weird expression, isn't it? And so Rehoboam did just that. He went out and said, Nope, I'm going to be even harder on you. And all of the people of Israel, save the tribe of Judah, said, we have no portion in David, and the nation was divided. Well, all of these people that left needed a king, right? And they found Jeroboam, who became a king in the northern part of Israel. And that's what they named this nation, Israel. The southern nation became Judah. Judah was by far the greatest of all of the tribes. And so there they are divided. And Jeroboam had an idea. He said, you know, if all of my people go to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom and worship the Lord, well, they'll just want to stay there. And they'll, they'll reject me as king. And so he came up with an idea. He made a couple of calves out of gold. And said to his people, Behold, these are your gods. This is your God who delivered you from slavery in Egypt. And they worshipped these golden calves. It seems that there was no one who would stand up and say, No, we cannot do this thing. We cannot worship idols. We must worship the true God. No, they went with a crowd, friends. Nobody made a stand. And because of this, God raised up the Assyrians to take the nation of Israel captive, dragging them out of the land, save just a few people, you know, to maintain everything. And those people stayed in the land while the rest of the northern kingdom went into this bondage and the southern kingdom was taken away by the Babylonians who had taken over the Assyrians. And those people that were left behind, well, they took advantage of the situation. I mean, we, you know, most of the people are gone here. We got to find 
wives for our husbands. I mean, come on, those Gentiles aren't so bad. And so they intermarried with the Gentiles. And they worshipped with them. And they became an abomination to Israel. The city of Samaria was the capital city in the northern kingdom. They became traitors. They became sellouts. They became known as half-breeds. And the Jews didn't want to have anything with them. So when this woman says, how can you, a Jew, talk to me, a woman and a Samaritan? We understand the disgust that Jews had with Samaritans. They didn't endure the suffering. They weren't ripped from their homes. And they made intermarriage with the Gentiles. They had thrown everything out the window, friends. Hmm. How sad. And yet it is in this context that Jesus teaches us about worship. Note carefully, my friends, there will be a quiz, and it ain't, won't be from me. Here in verses 10 to 18, Jesus lays out in this conversation about worship the prerequisite. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you don't have anything to draw with. And the, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? And then becomes this, uh, this, this progression of understanding at first. She sees Jesus as nothing but a Jew. But here in verse 12, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? I mean, he gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Salvation here, my friends, you will note, is in Christ alone. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him springs of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She doesn't really understand it quite yet, but Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This living water, the work in the, of the Spirit because the prerequisite of true worship is salvation. You need to know who God is to worship him. And you'll notice salvation ought to be shared immediately. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And this feels uncomfortable to read, friends. But you'll notice the woman answered him and said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you say is true. And we get the feel that this wasn't about death, my friends. 
or that this woman had been passed from one man to the next and to the next and to the next and to the next and to the next. But here Jesus is offering her a new life. But you'll notice here in verse 19, she wants to talk about the location of worship. You see, the Samaritans, they would held to the first five books of the Bible, the Tanakh, Tanakh, the Torah, the Torah. The Tanakh is Torah. Well, it doesn't matter. But that's all they did. You know, the rest of Israel, they followed all of the Old Testament, but they would say, no, just the first five books. That's all we want. And so this woman here in verse 19 says to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. From a man to a Jew to maybe greater than Jacob, perhaps you're a prophet. And then she lays down what she believes. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Ironic that that's exactly who had said it. Jesus is indeed the word of God. But notice, my friends, what Jesus says to her. And you will note this carefully. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You see what Jesus said right there? The one that we worship is the Father. Remember last week we talked about prayer. Who do we address our prayers to? Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. When you worship, friends, you worship the Father. Let's take a moment to define the word worship. The word here in the New Testament for worship is proskuneo. Enough said, right? This is a most unusual word, my friends. You know what it means? The root of this word means to kiss. But what does worship have to do with kissing? Well, if you're happily married, you understand that. It is like a dog licking his master's hand. It means to prostrate oneself. It's a word you have to pronounce carefully or people giggle. It means to lay all the way down, face down onto the ground. And if you stand before someone and put your face down to the ground, what do you see? Feet. That is worship. It says that I value you so much that I would fall before you and even kiss your feet. To do reverence, to adore, all of these are worship. I'll tell you what worship is not. Worship is not, oh, I really like this song and singing it loudly. That ain't worship, my friends. That ain't worship. But one thing we know about worship, 
You certainly must adore the one that whom you do that to. And it would take a great deal of humility, something nobody wants to do. Isn't it funny, though, when you ask a woman to marry, what do you do? You get down, don't you? Yeah. Adore, adoration, reverence. It's a worship. Apparently what Jesus is saying here is worship is not tied to a location. Worship is not something that because I'm here, I'm worshiping. Worship is not tied to a location. The root of this word means to kiss. You're going to roll in that one for a while, aren't you? But notice this in verse 22. Jesus continues that true worship is a heart response to the truth about God. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. What is he saying there? It means the Messiah came out of the nation of Israel. Remember that covenant God made with Abraham? Going to bless you, going to bless everyone that blesses you, and anybody that curses you, I'm going to curse, but through you, I'm going to bring blessing to the rest of the world. That's Jesus. It's Jesus. But the hour is coming, verse 23, that is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Very similar to what we talked about in prayer. We don't want to pray hypocritically, and we don't want to worship that way either. You know, when our heart doesn't match our words. Oh, you could sing the songs, my friend. You could mouth them all you wanted. You could sing all the harmonies and the melodies. But if it don't come from the heart, you're wasting your breath. Worship in spirit and in truth. It is a heart response to the truth about God. But you will notice this, my friends, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Friend, that was written, recorded, and preserved that you would hear it that you would read it and understand that he's talking about you. People who would worship him from the heart, not just the mouth, not just the tap of the foot. Worship. Spirit in truth. In tune with God and in line with the truth. Excellent music and eloquent speaking cannot, it absolutely will not substitute for the Spirit's power in worship. The work of the Spirit of God welling up within us to give Him the praise, the adoration that God deserves. That is worship. Notice the impact of true worship. You see, true worship leaks. 
It leaks. True worship leaks out the rest of our life. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, and here we are. Are you a prophet? I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us things. Look at that. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And some big revelation right there, friends. And just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a woman. Imagine the prejudice. Not with Jesus. No matter where you've been, who you're associated with. Trust him, friends. Trust him. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but nobody said, what do you seek or what are you talking to, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Friends, if you don't have a little bit of goosebumps on you thinking about how incredible this day was for her. Start of the day just doing the chores. And she came to faith in Jesus. And you know what she couldn't do? She couldn't keep it to herself. You see, true worship aligns with God's mission. And so here in verse uh, 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? But there's Jesus talking metaphorical again. He's talking about his mission, his work. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, Jesus says, looking them straightly in the eyes, there are yet four months when the harvest uh, comes? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. He's talking about leading people to Jesus just like this woman did. Come and see everything that he has said. Hmm. Already, verse 36, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. And there's the picture. People out there planting seeds living it out, living their life behind the words that they say about their God. And other people come along and see the fruit and lead them to faith in Christ. Have you ever been a part of that, friends? How many seeds have you planted in your life? Ain't a competition, my friends. What it is, is obedience to God. We open our mouth and we speak of his wonders we demonstrate that we adore him that we are reverencing him sowing and reaping my friends now notice the result of all of this in verse 39 
In verse 39, many Samaritans, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. What kind of testimony is that? She didn't talk about sin and salvation and sacrifice. And she simply told what she knew, which, by the way, is what you're called to do. Tell what you know. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. True worship, my friends. It is a spirit-empowered celebration of the truth about God. What we know about Him, and we are in awe about Him. And we don't just think it, we act on it. We act on what is true. And we demonstrate in our lives His worth. So I would commend you, my friends, to uh, consider. Do you really, when's the last time you really worship God? I mean, just all out. All of who he is. When you look at his creation that declares the glory of God. The sun set over the waters. Been to the mountains lately. And from your heart burst forth words and actions of worship. Don't fool yourself, friends. Mouthing words is not worship. But I'll tell you, it would make me wonder if I knew the God of creation and I knew that he saved me from my sin Save me from an eternal, eternal separation from him in hell. I'd have reason to worship. And if I'm not, something's missing. Something's missing. So does your worship leak? Maybe it leaks into the way that you talk to other people. You can't leave out what Christ is doing in your life transforms your work ethic you study your bible that is a box to check got that done but it becomes a logging and a straining like you would study a treasure map I've got to learn the truth about my God Father help us Oh, we need your help. You have been so good to us in so many ways. In revealing yourself to us that we would know you. That we would be forgiven. That we would be given a life of purpose and hope. Oh, Spirit of God, convict our hearts. Draw us to yourself. 
Renew us, God, in our sight, in our memories, in our understanding, that we might worship you in a way that honors you, because certainly you are worth it. Amen. Stand, it's up to you.